Having a baby is meant to be the most joyful time of your life. But for many mums and dads, it can be the hardest and at times the darkest of places. Welcome to Blue Mum Days, the podcast for anyone struggling with parenting. Today's guest is Naomi Buffery. Naomi is a maternal mental health coach, empowering new mums to beat anxiety and depression without the need for medication so you can enjoy being a mum and feel a deep emotional connection with your child. Naomi's here to talk to me today about her own experiences. So welcome Naomi, how are you today? I'm good, thank you for having me. I'm really honoured to have you speak with us today, it's, it's a real pleasure. First of all, let's let's talk about who you were before you were pregnant, you know, what you were like as a person before your experience of PND. Oh, okay. I kind of, when I was pregnant, I kind of expected, I was kind of thinking to myself, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get postnatal depression because my mental health probably wasn't that great for a long time. I had definitely had generalised anxiety for a lot, for 20 years, but um, I kind of masked it. I had quite un, unhelpful coping strategies I guess I had quite low self-esteem. I didn't have quite a very high opinion of myself. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. So, well, these are all these are all things I've discovered since becoming a mum. So, um, I kind of didn't really know. I didn't really know myself that well, actually. That was the thing. I didn't know myself very well, um, and I, you know, I used to put other people's needs ahead of my own all the time I was big people pleaser yeah this is all resonating (laughs) yeah 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 so um so all the the, all those issues were there all along you know they they were there for a long time um I guess I was quite a big party girl before I had my little boy you know I was very big on socializing I don't know if that was necessarily really who I was um it was just a way of coping with just feeling anxious all the time do you know what I mean yeah yeah it's, it's very interesting actually because by you saying that you had generalized anxiety to then put yourself in social situations constantly yeah. that seems yeah. the opposite of what you would do yeah you know it's crazy it really is crazy because I de- I definitely had social anxiety as well bad um I didn't even, you know, I didn't even realise that I had social anxiety, but I did. I had it. I've had it probably since I was about seven. Yeah. Um, Most of my life. And yeah, I did. I used to put myself in these situations that made me feel massively uncomfortable. And then I'd have, you know, bad coping strategies like drinking too much wine to to calm the nerves. Yeah. We've all been there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, but I didn't really understand myself very well. So I was just getting through life the best I could. And it's it's so amazing to hear you say that because I would never have known if you hadn't said that to me <laughs> because, because of the way you are now and you seem very yeah. relaxed on camera and very much putting yourself out there. Oh, well, I am you know, a, a million miles away from that person. I don't even, I almost don't even like connect with that person anymore. I'm so different. So yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pleased that I've been on this journey, this journey of self-awareness and personal development and recovery and stuff, because I can now see what was going on there. But yeah, I was lost. I was, yeah, I was lost for a long time. 
So when you found yourself pregnant, was it a pregnancy that you had planned? Were you mm. were you desperately wanting to be a mum? What was the situation? Yeah, I did. Um, we'd be, I'd been with my partner for a few years and I really wanted to have a baby. And, you know, after we'd been together for a few years, it felt like the natural progression, you know, the natural thing to do. But then I think maybe some of the reasons that I wanted to have a baby weren't necessarily the healthiest. I, you know, I, th- I, th- I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to fix myself with him, with my baby. Yeah. This yeah. is what's going to fix me. I was like, I'm going to put right all the wrongs with him. And so I put all this pressure on myself to be this amazing like I you know I was imagining myself to be this like earth mother that was really (laughs) naturally maternal and I knew exactly what to do and I'd make all the right decisions and you know when it when he actually arrived it was like being hit by a truck I wasn't that you know natural earth mother that I thought I was going to be yeah and and who is (laughs) like a deer with headlights yeah <laughs> yeah it's 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 incredible isn't it that the, the pressure we put ourselves under and would you say that you sort of put yourself under pressure to be the perfect mom or you had an expectation of that of yourself yes yeah I do you know what I've discovered about myself is that I have this I put I you know not just in parenting in in every area of my life I put massive amount of pressure on myself and if I'm not the best at something, I don't feel good enough. Well, I know that about myself now, so I don't believe that anymore. That was what I lived my life by. I had to be the best or I wasn't good enough. And I, and I just couldn't be the best at being a parent. And, you know, that doesn't even exist, does it? It's not competition, is it? No, no. <laughs> We're all just winging it. Yeah. And I was, I was like expecting myself to know exactly what to do in a situation that I'd never, ever been in before. You know, that's that's too much pressure, isn't it? I had to get it exactly right. Otherwise, you know, I was a failure. That's what that's it. Cut and dry. Essentially, in a nutshell, you were setting yourself up to fail massively. Yeah. Yeah. But then I didn't because I because I didn't want to fail so badly, didn't want to fail. I was inadvertently setting myself up for failure. That that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, <laughs> yeah. it makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting because I I was one of the lucky ones and I was able to go to a support group with the Cedar House support group that I went to. It was incredible how all of the women there were high achieving, perfectionist, incredible women who, if they hadn't been sitting in a sort of an Alcoholics Anonymous type circle with me, I would have never known walking past them that they would be feeling the way that they did mm, did, yeah. you, did you find that yes yeah you've hit the nail on the head there haven't you it's uh, it's perfectionism is just uh, you know it's just a killer of joy it takes <laughs> away the joy out of everything doesn't it it's impossible to enjoy being a mother when you when you're telling yourself you're not good enough all the time yeah because you don't meet these standards that you've set yourself and you know I did that in my career I did that. I did that in everything. My job, in my, in my friendships, in my relationships. I had to be this person here, and you know, and your your expectations don't meet match your reality, do they? 
no no not at all yeah and I think when you bring perfectionism into parenting it's not going to stand you well is it as a as a new parent you know yeah yeah expecting yourself to have such high standards because you know you're absolutely out of control it's chaos isn't it (laughs) yeah and uh, it's it's about survival and uh I still have this really vivid memory of I'd I'd get all those mother and baby magazines Mm. and I remember like bedtime was all about bed and bath time was going to be this lavender scented fluffy bathrobes wonderful moment of joy you know and normally Stanley would be on DEFCON 1 by about half past six and it was the absolute opposite of that you know it would just be chaos awful neither of us enjoyed it and then my husband, bless him, would come home from work about sort of 7.30. Because he hadn't seen his his baby all day, he would just want to throw him up in the air and jazz him up. And <laughs> it just ended up being really stressful. And absolutely nothing like I've been promised in these magazines. Oh, no. Well, that's a, that is, that's another thing, isn't it? This, uh, you know, comparing yourself to unrealistic ideals. You've already got your own unrealistic ideals. And then you get yourself on Instagram and there's even more unrealistic ideals. And, you know, it's, a, it's not a great, great mix, is it? It's, it's funny because Liz, the P&D counsellor who runs Cedar House, and I remember sort of asking her back in the time whether she felt there had been much more P&D in our generation of motherhood than there was in the previous generation and she said yes and I'm like but why when things are so much easier but she was actually explaining that it's about the lack of sort of family support networks nearby and also a combination of societal pressure that in a way that mums didn't have before this this sense that we have to have it all and be incredible mums but also killing it at work and also the wealth of information out there is overwhelming in terms yeah. of trying to navigate that. Did, oh. did you find that? Yeah, I, um, I remember sort of, you know, very early on, first few weeks, my other half, he banned me from looking at Google. So yes. every time I was Googling, I was like, oh, why, why isn't he sleeping? And, um, you know, everything I was Googling. And it's dangerous, isn't it? Oh, my God, yes. Um, and it was making me highly anxious. And yeah. there was so much conflicting information. Forums, where, which was just opinion, other people's opinions, so much. And he, he just, I remember him saying to me, you've got to stop Googling. <laughs> you've just got to stop. Because then, then what happens is we start, we stop listening to our intuition. Yeah. Because there's so much... You know, I remember someone saying to me, you know, you'll know what to do instinctively. And I was like, my instincts never kicked in because I didn't trust myself. But it didn't help that there was all this like massive conflicting information everywhere. Like, who the hell do I listen to? Yeah. And then listen to someone, someone well-meaning that was, you know, probably a bit old fashioned who says, you know, someone gave me the advice like, um, just let him just let him cry. Just leave him to cry to himself to sleep. And I listened to that and um, and I did that. And then, you know, I beat myself up for years afterwards for doing that, for ages. So you, so you end up listening to a bit of advice that goes against your values and then you hate mm. yourself. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that completely resonates with me, not just in terms of, 
yeah, you know, trust your instinct. And I'm like, I don't have any instincts. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. And and also a desire to sort of research the right way, the perfect way, the correct way of doing things. Yeah. And and there isn't one. You know, there's so many different conflicting pieces of information and you're scrabbling to try and find the right one. Yeah. I think like you said, like years ago, you know, generation before us, they just you just sort of each family found their own way. I think there wasn't all this like information overload. You just just did what you felt was the right thing to do. And it was trial and error. And nobody, you know, it was okay to do to try trial and error back then. Do you know? And it felt okay. I mean, it's still okay now, but. I wonder if there was a sense of, or less of a sense of being judged in the way Mm. that we feel constantly judged in our lives Mm. now through social media and and things like that. But if if we go back to your pregnancy, Mm. tell us about this concern that you had that you you thought you might be susceptible to PND. I just, I had it like for most of the pregnancy. I mean, I don't know if if I brought it on by um, assuming I was going to have it, but I just... When I was in my early 20s, I'd had, I had a breakdown. I was getting, you know, I had lots of panic attacks all the time and I was very depressed and kind of, kind of recovered from that. And, that, and then, you know, that left me with generalised anxiety, mm. all these unhelpful stuff going on underneath the surface. So I kind of knew, I kind of knew I was, it was, I thought, you know, if anyone's going to get it, I'm going to get it. And that's what I, and I just thought about that constantly throughout the pregnancy. Did you reach out to anybody for support with that? No, no. Looking back on it now, I, you know, there was probably signs when I was pregnant. Definitely towards the end, I was very emotional, very mm. um, easily triggered. And uh, yeah, there was, there was, you know, anxiety throughout the pregnancy and stuff. So, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't even, it didn't even cross my mind to ask for help. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mention it to the midwife or anything. I never formed a relationship with the midwife because I had so many different ones. I think if I had a relationship with a midwife, I might have might have opened up. But yeah, yeah. and and was there any sort of history of of postnatal depression in your family? Not that I know of. My my mum died when I was very young, so I I was never able to ask her about it. Um, So I don't know. Um, mm. I don't know if she did. I assume she didn't. I'm so sorry for your loss. That oh, must have been incredibly hard at such a young age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's rubbish. <laughs> but then, you know, what can you do? But yeah, it was, I think that was part of the issue as well, was that I didn't have, I didn't have a mum helping me. I felt very alone and unsupported. Yeah. And what about your partner throughout the pregnancy? Were they supportive of, of your feelings? Yeah. Um, you know, I, don't, I suppose I didn't really tell him. I can't, you know, I didn't really tell him how I was feeling. I remember I did, did have a conversation with him saying, I think, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get postnatal depression. Um, but yeah, he's very, yeah, very supportive, um, especially in the early days. Well, you know, I was just somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, he was good. Are you sort of comfortable to talk about the the birth itself? 
yeah yeah and um, so when did you first get that feeling that you might be in labor oh well that didn't happen <laughs> that didn't happen I um he was two weeks late and um I was booked in for an induction yeah if I'd known what uh, an induction entailed I probably would have said no to it um I think I think the again that contributed to how I was feeling afterwards because I it was horrible and I definitely felt traumatized afterwards I remember my dad and stepmom were waiting for me at home and I remember saying to them I just I feel traumatized um it was just yeah horrible just felt so out of control whole time um you know it wasn't life-threatening or anything like that there wasn't you know because I know people have really horrific experiences it was just I just felt so out of control and not listened to and there's a part of the induction when it's you know they give you the pessary yeah if that doesn't to try and bring on the labor that doesn't work um they put you on this drip to uh, that gives you like synthetic oxytocin yeah contractions so you're you kind of go from nothing to full-blown what's the word when you're in full labor I can't remember the word now oh yeah (laughs) it's too long ago for me (laughs) you go from like nothing yeah contractions every two minutes so no no gentle rise yeah and, and I remember saying, look, because I remember at, the, at my um, antenatal class and saying, you know, it's, it's really painful if you have it, if you're induced. Yeah. So I asked for an epidural and they, yeah. Christmas Day. Christmas oh, gosh. Christmas Day. Um, and, um, and they sort of convinced me not to have an epidural. So it was all on gas and air. And it, it was, I've never felt, been, felt pain like it. It yeah. was horrific. and it was just and it was just relentless for hours just this this constant pain that just didn't go away for hours and I was like I was begging them to stop um and they yeah and eventually they gave me uh, like a pethidine injection and yeah that knocked me out and I was just I was just off my head it was horrible oh. when, I remember when he and then eventually I had a cesarean and you know my eyes were rolling in the back of my head <laughs> I was just like you know out of my out of my brain on drugs so I'd had I'd had an epidural I'd had a pethidine and I'd had whatever they do when they when you have your cesarean yeah yeah I was not on this planet this thing about not being listened to I think is is quite a fundamental thing to me because that's you know I felt utterly traumatized by my birth and Mm. my birth compared to it as you were saying a lot of women and you know it sounds like your experience was horrific mine wasn't there was no emergency c-section involved there was nothing like that but I felt utterly traumatized and utterly Mm. alone and not listened to and they didn't believe I was in labor when I was and I think there must be some sort of relationship between that feeling and being stripped of any sort of voice or power and developing oh. postnatal depression. Yeah, do you know, I've done a TED talk on this. Oh, really? <laughs> I've done research on it. 
and you can feel traumatized from just not being listened to that is that alone can make you feel traumatized just like not having a voice feeling like people are in control of you yes I mean for years I I wished that I had had some sort of debrief about the birth because I felt that if I could understand it and be able to to sort of voice how I felt I would get some sort of closure Mm. but I I blamed myself constantly for not being good enough at birth or not being brave enough or not experiencing the pain in a braver way um all of that nonsense (laughs) I know exactly what you mean and there's almost like a grief afterwards isn't there yeah to grieve the fact that that birth didn't go as planned and you're probably never going to get well I didn't have another child so I was put I had to I had to grieve yeah that that loss of of the joyful experience that I thought I was going to get and that's you know that's I think that's the process afterwards when you sort of you're angry and you're beating yourself up and all that I think you're grieving I honestly think you are you've hit the nail on the head you know it's that experience that you should have or you feel you should have had and there's also this societal impression that women will just feel the most euphoric feeling when they meet their baby for the Mm. first time Mm. and I've since learned that actually that isn't that common Mm. and um yeah I remember wanting to nearly punch somebody in a in a cafe bookshop a few weeks after giving birth they hadn't had a child and they were reading this book, The Orgasmic Birth. And I just, <laughs> I just wanted to take that book and throw it on a bonfire. Yes. I mean, how did you feel when you, when you met your son for the first time? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I was just relieved that my ordeal was over. Yeah. That's it. Relief that I wasn't in pain anymore. And... Um, but then I, you know, then I was getting the after contractions, which were horrible as well. Yeah, nothing. I was numb, numb. Did that experience put you off having another baby? Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah, there was part of me that, want, you know, I've trained as a hypnobirthing practitioner since then. Oh, amazing. And, um, just because I wanted to feel like there was, you know, there is a good way to do it. It was yeah. that kind of, it was therapeutic for me. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I was talking to someone about this the other day, actually. And you, uh, you kind of, I was still very affected by it a few, you know, for a good few years later. Um, and, and there's part of me that was thinking, well, I wish, you know, it, it would be nice for him to have a brother or sister. I know what it's like to have siblings and, you know, it's fun. Um, and then, and then by the time I felt okay, you know, yeah. like I could probably have another child now. I, I mean, yeah. good mind threat set now. I'm too old. I'm too old to do it now. So I feel like that boat's gone. But, yeah. um, but it was like, it was the case of, I remember weighing it up. Like what's, what's better, him having a sibling or me potentially... Get, getting going down a dark hole again and it, that's what you have to weigh up that's yeah. and, and I just decided that having a happy mum was probably more important than him having a sibling because you can there's also we've got a dog 
and you can you know you can make sure that he spends lots of time with his friends and things like that so you know it's not the end of the world and I just thought that's it that's the, the decision you have to make I think Oh, Naomi, just, you know, I, I feel like we're, we're so parallel in so many yeah. ways because I, I remember Stanley was only a few months old and I was constantly being told, when are you going to have a next one? Oh, you can't leave him on his yeah. own. I remember going to a mortgage interview because we wanted to move house when he was about 15 months old. And the woman there, the, the mortgage woman at the Halifax was going on about, oh, you can't, you can't leave him on his own. It'll scar him for life, which yeah. was not very helpful. And I felt guilt and grief for years and years and years. I I couldn't go there for at least three years after Stanley was born because I was so traumatized. And exactly like you, it's about weighing up. Am I doing the best thing, sort of healing myself Mm. and being completely sort of um, there for him and concentrating on him? Or for the sake of this supposed thing you know that by him having a brother or a sister it would bring so much more happiness into their life I really struggled and then by the time we finally came around where I thought right I could actually do this and my husband also felt that he could cope with the thought of me going through another pregnancy it didn't happen Mm. for us and and that yeah I, I grieved for a long time and felt terrible guilt when it's it's really not our fault and you know it's okay to yeah be like this absolutely absolutely you know there's a lot a lot a lot of my friends now have have got only children I think it's a lot more normal now yes uh, to have just one child than it used to be um but yeah yeah I the thing is is you can look at it from a different perspective can't you you can because you're you're actually re- like really considering the effect that it would have on them if you if you were to to get you know go down that dark hole again and actually you're doing yeah. it their best interests yeah yeah you feel guilty that they don't have a sibling but actually you you know every decision we make is is based on what's best for them isn't yeah. it yeah I mean often as a parent you hear this thing about you know sort your own yeah. life mask out first before trying to sort any, anybody else and we shouldn't feel guilty for the need of you know putting our own mental health because, yeah. because it affects them directly. Yeah 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 that's a that's a big thing isn't it like that's a huge thing that I hear about all the time is is you know mums really never ever putting themselves first and you know working themselves to burn out because they think that that's what you need to do you have to be completely selfless actually you have to put yourself first every now and again because that's good for your mind you know your mind and your your mental health and everything and good for your child yeah yeah no def- definitely so if if we go back to the birth and you've you've met your lovely boy what happened next? Did you stay in hospital or were you discharged quickly? I was, well, because I had a caesarean. They keep you in, I think it was 48 hours then. I can't really remember. I was, I was in the hospital for a few days, two or three days, maybe, a, a period of time. And 
yeah, it was quite kind of strange in the hospital. I suppose it was, it, I was okay when I was in hospital because I, I had midwives there to help me. So I felt kind of supported while I was there. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't, it was, it was such a bizarre feeling. I'd like, I'd go from feeling like, and I guess this is the hormones, deliriously ecstatic one moment to feeling really down the next. I kept having these like big, big mood changes. Yeah. And I started to worry there and I thought, oh my God, am I having a psychosis? Because, you know, I was worrying myself, making myself. So I was thinking, this is weird. I'm like high one minute and low the next. And I, I'm guessing that's the hormones. I don't know. Must be, um, must be. Yeah, it was really weird. You know, that was kind of a lonely experience because I didn't have any visitors. I had apps, <laughs> my other half, he visited. The partners weren't allowed to be there all the time. So yeah, set hours, which I thought was really odd. I went down to the ward at about two o'clock in the morning after I'd given birth. And then they said to said to my partner, you've got to go. Yeah, see you. Bye. <laughs> Your son's just been born. And then I was on my own. I was just in this little cubicle on my own. I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah. And you've just been through a traumatic experience and then yeah. sort of abandoned. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I was holding him and I was so tired. I was just absolutely exhausted because this whole induction had been going on for two, two days. Oh, my goodness. And, um, and then he was, he was crying because he was hungry and I mustn't, he mustn't have been latching on right or I mustn't have been producing milk or whatever because he wasn't, he wasn't being satisfied. Yeah. And I had to call a midwife over and I said, look, you've got to take him. I'm going to drop him on the floor. I'm so tired. Mm. Because I, I was worrying that I was going to drop him because I, was, I couldn't keep my eyes open. Yeah. Thankfully, they took him away and they gave him some formula and, and then they came back a little bit later and swaddled, he was all swaddled up and fast asleep. Yeah. That, and then oh, I'm going to sleep now. So were they supportive to you in hospital? Yeah, yeah, they were, they were good in those few days that I was there. And yeah. how did you find it sort of coming home after, after that? How did you feel? Oh, it was, you know, I, I don't think I've ever felt so overwhelmed in my life. It was so overwhelming. And, um, and then we just got kept getting visitors. And I, do you know what I said to myself? I failed at birth, so I'm going to get breastfeeding right. It's, I'm going to be this amazing breastfeeder. And back, back to being an earth mother. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I found it really difficult. I found it so hard, breastfeeding. That's another thing they don't tell you, is it? antenatal classes the woman that taught us she went just put the baby on your chest and it crawl to your breast and feed off you and it's like that that doesn't happen it's, yeah it's <laughs> you don't realize how difficult it is it's so difficult <laughs> yeah and again there's a huge percentage of women with postnatal depression oh. that have suffered difficulties and feel very guilty about breastfeeding yeah. or not being able to breastfeed yeah yeah well I think I think that if your body is flooded with adrenaline it's it puts a blocker on the oxytocin doesn't it that releases the milk you need oxytocin yeah to um for your milk to flow so if you're constantly anxious it's it, you're fighting against the 
hormones that you need. That's fascinating. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, this is all the research I've done for my TED talk, but I learned it in my it hit my birthday as well. I didn't know this at the time. You kind of need to be relaxed and chilled out to help with breastfeeding. Yeah. If you're really stressed and wound up, it's gonna it's not gonna help. I didn't know any of this um, at the time. I didn't know it, and I just yeah, I just found it so hard. I had like scabs, and they my nipples were bleeding. To give too much information. And um and I and again and I was saying to my health visitor like please help me this is hard and mm. oh you just got to keep going just got to, you know it was that was it was excruciatingly painful yeah. just there was every time he breastfeed he he was picking a scab off oh my right. god Naomi I really feel for you <laughs> because yeah I found breastfeeding really difficult and I was different different in that I had an oversupply issue rather than an undersupply mm. issue but I found it could be very very painful and I kept getting blocked ducts and I think my nadia was when I had um, mastitis I think I think it was about seven weeks in and the only way to to get through that is that you have to breastfeed even more and it's so painful and I remember just absolutely dreading you know, and I, I, yeah, I, I remember really. I had, to, I think I had to, I could still see myself in that darkened bedroom. And I, my husband sort of moved out into another room because I was, I was having to breastfeed every hour and a half or two hours. And it just, just that feeling of, oh my God, it was like razor blades. Yes. I mean, I know there are some fantastic breastfeeding midwives out there, but there are also some that seem to lack empathy about what you're going mm. through and and mm. put quite you know you can be made to feel very guilty if you're struggling or wanting to knock breastfeeding on the head I applaud anybody that that helps other women sort of improve their latch but does it in a very giving empathetic mm. compassionate way because it, mm. it can be really hard and and nobody talks mm. about that so again you feel guilty because you're like I I should be doing this perfectly what's wrong with me Uh, you know why aren't I this incredible earth mother that can latch my baby on within three seconds and yeah absolutely yeah I I I was I remember saying to my health is like (laughs) I need some help and then I just phoned the hospital myself and I was in floods of tears I was just someone please help me and I sent a, a breastfeeding specialist see me at the house and she was amazing she was lovely um and I found that really helpful but because she told me about positions and you know and and there was stuff I was doing wrong and she helped me with that but there was still this issue of of me being covered in scabs and um you know it, it wasn't getting any any better I remember saying like must have been about a month I I put up with it for about a month and then I said let's try him on some formula and I remember I vividly remember giving him that bottle Mm. and thinking I am poisoning him and I was so nervous and uh, you know we desperately reading through all the ingredients on the box I gave him this bottle and I genuinely thought something awful was going to happen to him because I'd given him formula yeah Yeah. isn't it isn't it a nonsense and again it's this messaging and I think it's incredibly powerful and good to emphasize the benefits of breastfeeding 
but mm. actually making mothers feel like Beelzebub if they give their child formula in any way, <laughs> shape or form, is is yeah. terrible. And there, there seems to be this incredible guilt attached to it. And, yeah. and yet, I mean, I don't know how your son is now, but I think at about eight months in, we switched to formula at night so I could have a bit of a break. And that really turned things around for me in terms of making me able to cope more. And yeah. my my son's absolutely fine, you know, <laughs> no, no health issues there. Oh, my little boy is so healthy, so healthy. Yeah. I think when when we stopped, literally when I stopped breastfeeding, you could feel like everyone gave a sigh of relief. And he was satisfied. I wasn't crying constantly. My other half could help more. Yeah. yeah. It was like a, this big sigh of relief throughout the whole house. <laughs> but yeah, I did. I hated myself for, for a long time for not lasting longer. I felt like a massive failure. It's such nonsense, isn't it? And, and when you look back now, you, you kind of think, why did I beat myself up? about it um so I'd say to any mums that are listening to to this now and going through that sort of real struggle with breastfeeding there is hope and you have to do what's absolutely right for you and your baby and there is no right there is no wrong it's about sort of getting through it and being kind to yourself as well as looking after your baby so you do what's right for you and and get whatever support you need to help you make decisions yeah I, I remember going to like a breastfeeding cafe and I remember saying to Stanley in the pram you know he was like a couple of months old and I was talking to him as I was sort of going to this children's center because I felt like I just did not want to leave the house and I didn't want to see anybody and I felt mm. incredibly low and just frightened and overwhelmed by everything and I remember sort of geeing myself up to go and saying to baby Stanley, I'm like, oh, you know, hey, we're going to a breastfeeding cafe. And I, I think I'm going to have a latte because I genuinely believed it would be a cafe situation where like coffees would be available. And then breastfeeding counsellors would come and sit by you and, and talk you through it. And it wasn't, it felt like what I'd seen in dramas as like an AA meeting or narcotics. And I'm like, well, you all sort of <laughs> sat in a circle and it just feels yeah. so non-conducive to making you feel better and more relaxed about feeding I don't, I don't know yeah I never made it to any of those groups but yeah I've heard I heard stories about someone that I did antenatal class with she thought exactly the same she thought oh this will be nice I'm gonna get some tips on breastfeeding and then you're just sort of in a room yeah talking. yeah sort of <laughs> in a big circle no coffee or not even a biscuit <laughs> Even if you don't have postnatal depression, it takes heaps of courage to, force, to go to something like that, doesn't it? Yeah, massively. I, I, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I remember going to uh, an incredible thing called Pram Chorus when I was about. Oh, I'm trying to think. Was down about sort of seven or eight months in, and it was a singing group for mums, and it just sounded like brilliant but I was terrified about going and I'd absolutely talked myself into right there's no backing out you're going to go and give it a try 
And unfortunately, the night before, Stan, by that point, was sleeping in his own room. The baby monitor went off. And in <laughs> me and my husband are both really clumsy. And in the middle of the night, um, we both went to turn off the alarm and I was going to get up and feed him. And somehow my husband, his elbow collided with my eye and I got a terrible black eye. And so that next morning, oh, I, no. I had to turn up with this black eye and, and I just, you know, I, I really didn't want to go. <laughs> but it was an icebreaker. What can I say? <laughs> and, and, and sometimes, exactly. you know, you force yourself to do these things and to go out and it's pushing yourself out of the comfort zone. And I, I'm glad that I did. But there are other times I made myself go mm. to things when I just felt awful afterwards and even more alone. Did you yeah. ever find that? Yeah, I remember going to um, baby massage. Baby massage was good for bonding. And I thought, well, this is a, this would be a good experience. And it is. It was great for colic. If you get, you know, trapped wind, baby massage is the best thing. But yeah, anyway, I went to this baby massage group and it was run by this woman and she was lovely. But she was run by this woman who had something, she had like 10 kids and she was like this, she was the earth mother <laughs> and um, she had like 10 kids and everyone, and everyone was just sitting around talking about breastfeeding. And, and I felt so, you know, it's actually making me feel emotional yeah. thinking about it because I felt so dreadful. And, and I, and I remember sitting there thinking, please don't be hungry while I'm here. Please don't be hungry when I'm here. Cause I was, I was embarrassed. I, I felt ashamed actually to get the bot to get his yeah. bottle out and feed him because everyone was going, oh, need breastfeeding and more. <laughs> and um, and I was like, I just feel like I'm I'm a failure. That's what it felt like when I went to this baby massage. I thought, why do you have to talk about breastfeeding yeah. the whole time? That was my big insecurity then, because I've I'd felt like an awful mother for giving him formula. I'm practically in tears just um, listening to you talk about that because. You know, I think that sort of situation will resonate with so many mums out there. And it certainly does with me. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you um, when you believe something about yourself, you you kind of can't help but see yeah. stuff to match up with that belief that you have. Um, so you've got you more, you've almost got like a radar on, haven't you? Looking out for people judging you for not breastfeeding. And I remember going to another baby group, baby people, something it was called. And, and another mum there saying, it ne would never cross my mind to give up breastfeeding. And I was like, yeah. oh my God, well, I can't get away from these people judging. And they, she wasn't judging me. It was just like a comment that she made. But that's what it felt like. It felt like every time I went to a baby group, I was getting judged for yeah. not breastfeeding. Yeah. And then I felt ashamed getting the bottle out. That's, yeah, so that was my experience with baby groups. When you were talking about the baby massage and about bonding, you know, it's a great way to, to bond mm. with your baby. Did you have any issues on that front with your son or? Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't feel bonded to him at all in the beginning. I found that absolutely devastating. And like, like you were saying earlier on, you know, people talk about that mm. rush of love, don't they? When, you know. Or, you know, everyone was like, oh, it's magical. It's, you know, the rush of love. And my other half had it. He said when he first saw him, he felt like overwhelmed with like yeah. love. Yeah. He he got it. He got it. I didn't. 
he said that he thought to himself, everything's going to be different now and had this like euphoric moment. But I didn't, I never had that. I, I ne- I've never had a rush of love ever. Yeah, I, I see him do things and I feel, you know, my heart yeah. feels like it's going to burst. But I never, I never had that. It, it, it gradually built up over time. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I'm talking a lot about that at the moment, actually, the bond. Because I think I just, I think it's, it's more normal to not feel the rush of love and for the bond to, to take time than it is to have that, uh, mo- that moment. But we expect the rush of love rather than the gradual build-up, if you know what I mean. Funnily enough, I, I had Liz Wise on as my first guest and she she was my P&D counsellor and she, she runs this amazing charity called Cedar House. But she also had postnatal depression twice with her daughters. And with her first daughter, Emma, she absolutely did not have any sort of bonding or motherly feelings towards her. And what was lovely was I was able to then chat to both of them. And it was really important for me to to sort of get across to listeners that just because you didn't bond with your child in the beginning doesn't mean that you aren't going to develop feelings later down the line. And you are certainly not going to scar your child totally. because again it's that that sort of pressure that's put on you it's like well you know think what you're going to do to the child and actually you can have a loving relationship mm. develop and you know it won't affect how they perceive you as 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 their mom and how you feel about mm. them as your child later down the line I'm actually quite thankful that I didn't have that bond to begin with because I don't take it for granted now get to work to, together to build that bond and and I put in so much effort to feel that love and I, and I worked my socks off I tried really hard because I wanted it and it meant a lot to me it wasn't handed to me on a plate and I don't take that for granted I I cherish that bond that we've got because it wasn't there to begin with so now I've got it I cherish it with all my heart so I'm actually thankful that I had to go through that experience because it makes me it makes me feel grateful for for the connection that we have now that's such a a profound thing to say and and how old is your son now oh he's seven wow so that's a yeah that's a hell of a journey you've been on and Mm. how would you describe your relationship now oh brilliant yeah absolutely really good I had this moment actually the other day last weekend I took him off to see this garden centre and they always put on this Christmas display and it's amazing, like near us. Yeah. And so we went to see this Christmas display, just me and him. It's our little tradition. And then he's he's really obsessed with these, they're called puppets, I think. They're like stress yeah. toys. Oh, yes. You know? Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like bubble wrap, yeah. isn't it? They're all into it at the moment, aren't they? He's got this massive collection of like fidget toys and stuff. And there's a little shop at the garden centre and I took him off to this shop and he had some of his money and he bought some fi- some new fidget toys for his collection and then we were leaving the shop and I said to him oh do you want do you want to have a look at the Christmas display again or do you want to see anything else and he said I've had such a lovely morning it's your turn what would you like to do and I just had this moment and just had this moment then and I thought do you know what I've got something right with him and I just 
you know, do you know what I mean? That was just one of those like defining moments. I thought, you're a great kid. Like, how nice is that? That he sort of went, oh, well, well, I've had my fun. It's time for you to have your fun now. And that's, that's the relationship we've got now. Oh, that's incredible and and so heartening. Yeah. And yeah, for a seven-year-old boy to not be <laughs> thinking just of his own needs, it's incredible. You've done yeah. something great there. And I hope you sort of pat yourself on the back because yeah, a lot of what you put into children comes out in, in how they behave and, and things. Yeah, it's nice, you know, that it's getting to that sort of age where you start to see the signs. You're like, okay, the work yes, I've been doing yes. is... is... <laughs> yeah I mean you've obviously done something where I've built on his sense of empathy and compassion and what a hero you know if you enjoy this episode of Blue Mondays please rate and subscribe it only takes a minute but it genuinely makes a difference to how many people can find it which means helping more parents in need thank you